With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 186. It's titled... Why do we pay taxes? And it might not be for the reasons that you think. Over the holiday break, I was speaking to a podcaster friend. He's from Denmark and files taxes in Denmark. It says it takes him less than 10 minutes to file his taxes every year. Most of the it's done electronically. And so I looked it up and it turns out taxes in Denmark are pretty simple. Everyone gets an individual personal allowance of about 45,000 Danish krona, or $7,300. And your various deductions just can only add up to $7,300. Examples such as interest expense, travel between home and work, charity, contributions, things of that sort, similar to the U.S., but just $7,300, 45,000 Danish krona. Their lowest tax rate is about 36% and goes up to almost 52%. So higher taxes than the U.S. U.S. Congress just passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. It was signed into law by President Trump. And like you, I wanted to know whether I was going to get a tax cut or not. So I pulled out my 2016 federal tax return spent 45 minutes, couldn't figure out whether I was going to get a tax cut or not. My 2016 federal tax return is 38 pages long. I filed Schedule A, B, C, D, Form 1116, 3800, 4797, 4952, 6251, 6252, 6781, 8582, 8960, and Form 8801. Plus, I paid alternative minimum tax, which is on Form 6251. And that's where I spent the bulk of my 45 minutes trying to understand that it turns out I had to go to Part 3. So you have this alternative minimum tax form that says things like if you reported capital gains distribution directly on Form 1040, Line 13, you reported qualified dividends on Form 1040, Line 9B, or you had a gain on both Lines 15 and 16 of Schedule D, as figured, reconfigured for the AMT if necessary, complete part three on the back and enter the amount from line 64 here. So into part three, it's 29 lines long. I couldn't understand it. I, I literally couldn't. So I punted to my tax accountant says, am I going to get a tax return or tax cut for 2018? And I wanted the reason why I was trying to figure this out is whether I should pay in Idaho, we don't pay estimated taxes, which is a nice benefit. So I usually pay my Idaho taxes the next year. So I'll pay 2017 taxes in April 2018. So I didn't know would, would it be beneficial for me to pay those Idaho taxes this year. 
He said he'd take a look at it. It turns out he thinks maybe I'll get a tax cut. But really, really complicated. Why do we pay taxes? First, we need to go back to some principles that we teach on money for the rest of us. Money is digits. When the federal government spends, it just deposits money in your checking account. It's digital. They're not having to go find, go to Fort Knox to find the money. They just change the digits. So when we pay taxes, the opposite happens. It basically takes money out of the economy. Digits are destroyed. The federal government doesn't have to wait for the money to show up. Mechanically, it just spends. It just changes digits. Now, the federal government has to balance its accounting books. And so if it spends more in a given year than it takes in in taxes, then it needs to balance its books. So it issues, runs a deficit, and issues government bonds, which are purchased by households and businesses and, and other governments as a form of savings. Or the debt could be purchased by the central bank, the Federal Reserve. In Japan, the Japanese central bank owns 42% of the outstanding debt as part of their quantitative easing program. They're creating the money, they're buying the debt, and they own 42% of it. I was on a recent conference call with Jeffrey Gunlack at Doubleline. He mentioned this, and, and he sometimes wonder, you know, why would pre- what would prevent the Japanese central bank from just canceling the debt? They own it. They just, they just could cancel it. They could. Money is digital. So when the federal government lowers taxes, that means they're taking less money away, less income from households and businesses, allowing them more money that they could save to potentially buy additional government bonds, or they could spend it, invest it in, in case of businesses, in productive assets. That doesn't mean governments can spend as much as they want. The capacity is the private sector's ability to produce goods and services. If the government just spends and spends and spends and capacity gets constrained, that can lead to rising prices. Inflation, constrained capacity leads to rising prices because Businesses have so much business, they got to pay the workers more, and that potentially leads to inflation. So the first reason we pay taxes is to prevent inflation. Another reason is to feel like we're contributing to the democratic process. We're part of a country, and we want to contribute, and we pay taxes as part of that. Again, the government doesn't need the money can create the money. By law, it has to balance its accounting books, but there's other ways to do that. But by paying taxes, we're contributing as part of the democratic process. Taxes are used to achieve political aims. And we'll see that in this this tax bill. To provide a sense of fairness, we're going to take more from those that have more and less from those that have less. To equalize things potentially. But politics are always involved in taxes. 
the Tax Reform Act of 1986 was passed. In 1986, it was bipartisan. The House had a Democratic majority. The Senate had a Republican majority. It passed the House 292 to 136 and passed the Senate 74 to 23. This particular tax cut, Jobs Act of 2017, majority in the House, it passed 227 to 205 against the Senate 51 to 49. Not bipartisan at all. That shows how politics has changed since the last major tax reform in 1986. And I hadn't really followed this process at all. I, I, my, my, my approach when they're talking about tax cuts is just, just wait till it passes and then look at it. So I actually went back after it passed to see what was the objective? What were they trying to accomplish? And you look at, this was back in July, Republicans were trying to simplify the tax code. And they did that. They raised the standard deduction much higher. To I think if you filed jointly, you and a spouse, it's twenty four around twenty four thousand dollars. That means that the percent of of U.S. households that have to file itemize their taxes is about thirty three percent itemized, had to, for, to file all those forms I just mentioned. About a third had to do that. Now only 14%. So way less people are going to have to file complicated tax return. That's a good thing, except it does cause some problems because some of those tax deductions were that that people took were for mortgage interest, which has been lowered from a million down to $750,000 in terms of the mortgage. But for most people, they won't have to itemize and count it, which means it potentially will have a negative impact on houses. Ed Mills, a Washington policy analyst with Raymond James, says there's really no difference between owning and renting in the tax code anymore for most Americans. You're indifferent. You used to, there was an incentive to take out a mortgage because you could deduct the interest. Now, for many, that incentive is no longer there. That potentially could have an impact on, on home prices. There's an impact on charities. If you're less likely to itemize, you don't have the financial incentive to, to necessarily to give to charity. And so charities are worried about that. All these people are worried. When do you simplify the tax code? There are those that are impacted and potentially charities. Now, hopefully we give the not-for-profits, not just for tax benefits, but it, it will have an impact. It will have an impact on higher states. It makes living in a high-tax state because the, the deduction is capped for state and local taxes and property taxes you can only deduct $10,000. Not very much when you have a high income and you live in a high income tax state. And so one of the things when it comes to taxes, everyone tries to, to pay as little as possible and they try to find ways to get around the systems. And state governments in high tax states are doing exactly that. 
read an article in the New York Times says they're proposing replacing state income tax, which are no longer fully deductible, with payroll taxes on employers. So if you can't, if the, the employers can deduct it, but not households, so we'll just shift the burden to them, or perhaps make state tax payments a tax deductible contribution or things of that sort. How big is this tax cut for households? I looked at two sources, the Tax Policy Center and the Joint Committee on Taxation. One is through through Congress, another is an independent research house, think tank, bipartisan. They both hired experts. They came to similar conclusions. Here's the Tax Policy Center. They say in 2018, the average household will have their taxes reduced by $1,600. Depends on how much you make. Don't make very much. Those earning less than twenty-five thousand will see a tax cut about six sixty dollars. Middle quintile, so between forty-nine thousand and eighty-six thousand, you should see a tax cut on average about nine hundred dollars. If you're in the ninety-fifth to ninety-ninth percentile, so three hundred eight thousand to seven hundred thirty-three thousand, you'll see an average tax cut of about thirteen thousand. And then the taxpayers in the top 1%, more than $733,000 in income, will see an average cut of $51,000. Now, the thing to consider is those that have the most income pay the most taxes. I had read reports that this is going to be, this increases income inequality. And if you just look at the change in tax rates, it doesn't. Currently, households that make over $100,000 in the U.S. pay 78.7% of all taxes. 20% of U.S. households make over $100,000. So you have 20% paying 78.7% of taxes. Those making over a million dollars pay 19.3% of taxes. Under the new tax law, Households making over 100000 will pay more as a percent. They'll pay 79.1%. So they've gone from paying 78.7% to 79.1%. And those making over a million dollars will go from paying 19.3% of all taxes paid to 19.8%. So it doesn't, the, the tax code itself doesn't increase income inequality. Those making more are going to get a bigger dollar tax decrease, but they still would be paying a higher percent of the overall taxes paid. Now, because everyone's tax rates are decreased, they will be paying less, you know, a lower tax rate, a lower percent of their taxable income will be taxed, but collectively they'll be paying more of the nation's taxes. What's the impact of all this on the economy? Before I answer that, let me share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. 
LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Both the Tax Policy Center and the Joint Committee on Taxation expect the tax cut to increase the economy, the growth in the economy, economic output, the amount that is produced in terms of goods and services. Why is that? Well, because lower taxes means more income in the pockets of households, more income means they're more likely to spend that income, which will increase demand, which will cause businesses to create more output. That's the one thing. So more demand means more output by businesses, which is what we grow the economy on. GDP, gross domestic product, it's the dollar value of goods and services produced in the economy. And if there's a greater demand, they'll produce more. The second reason is more workers. The idea that lower tax rate will provide a tiny incentive for those that may have be, been outside of the workforce to want to, to join in because they get essentially more income because they have lower tax rates. The other reason is, and, and we'll talk about the business side of the tax cut in a few minutes, but essentially businesses now have more encouragement to invest in projects that will increase productivity, which will lead to greater output or the faster growth in the economy. So how much is the economy expected to grow? Well, the the Tax Policy Center estimates that GDP will grow about 0.8% faster in 2018. And and then that's roughly $151 billion. And the U.S. Congress Joint Committee on Taxation expects the economy to grow about 0.7% on average faster or higher in 2018. And that's just going to continue. So if you look at the the tables, they show 
sort of 0.8, 0.7% in these initial years, drops down to about a, a 0.5% faster. And so, and that makes sense. That, that, that makes economic sense. Lower taxes, more money for households and businesses to spend and invest, encourages more people to work, and essentially more output. But it also means the government's getting less tax revenue. And if they continue to spend at the same level or increase their spending, that means the deficit will get bigger. The Tax Policy Center and the Joint Committee on Taxation estimate the federal budget deficit between 2018 and 2027 will increase about $1.1 to $1.3 trillion. And, and that means that the government will then have to go and issue more debt. It will cause the, the percent of debt to GDP from about 2037 should be about zero or four percentage points higher. So 2037, the Joint Committee estimates the debt to GDP will be about 117%. So about four percentage points higher means the government will have to balance its accounting books by issuing debt to households and businesses. They'll take their savings and invest. And that's one of the downsides. We're not going to talk about the, the deficit and the national debt in this episode. I've talked about it in earlier episodes. And in fact, last week I, I mentioned this new podcast I have called Topics by Money for the Rest of Us. And it's done in seasons. And the, and the seasons that will be released this month, month of January 2018, will all be on national debt. So it'll be all the episodes I've done on the budget deficit national debt. And, and you'll be able to get a good sense on that. And you can subscribe to that podcast. Just search for Topics by Money for the Rest of Us and subscribe via your favorite podcasting app. But the deficit will grow. And the economy will grow. Now, we don't know exactly by how much. But part of it is the cut to corporate taxes. The tax rate went from 35% to 21%. That will change behaviors of businesses. The other thing, it went to what's called a territorial system, where your businesses would no, will no longer be taxed on their overseas earnings. Formerly, they were taxed on any earnings overseas if they brought those taxes back into the U.S., and businesses want to keep their tax bill as low as possible. So they kept the money overseas, $2.6 trillion worth. Now they can bring it back, a one-time repatriation tax of around 15% for cash. And for, for other, I think, property, it's, it's 10%. $2.6 trillion potentially coming back. And, and one of the outstanding questions, will that impact the dollar? Will it cost the dollar to strengthen as businesses bring that money back. Under the new tax code, U.S. businesses also have an incentive to invest. I'm currently reading a book, called, it's called Capitalism Without Capital. It's by John Haskell and Stian Westlake. And, and they describe, they, they quote the U.N. system of national accounts, which gives a de definition of what an investment is in this sense. It says, investment is what happens when a producer either acquires a fixed asset or spends resources, money, effort, raw materials to improve it. And, and the authors go on to say an asset is an economic resource expected to provide benefit over time. 
and a fixed asset results in using up resources in the process of its production. So it could be a plane, a car, a factory, or something intangible like a drug patent. But it's not a financial asset, like buying another company, but it's, it's something physical, a fixed asset. That's an investment. And under the new tax code, you know, most fixed investments, historically, companies, when they buy, bought them, they couldn't expense it on that given year. In other words, reduce their taxable income by expensing it. They had to depreciate those assets as they got used up over the life of the asset. But under the new tax code, they, they can expense it all through the year 2022, which means businesses have an incentive to invest in these, these particular projects. Now, we don't know how, what extent businesses will do that because they could do other things. They could take that higher or that higher after-tax income and do what they have done much of that has, when we talked about this, about this a few episodes ago, increased income inequality, just paying more dividends to shareholders, buying back stock. They could lower prices for customers, which would benefit their customers. They could help reduce income inequality by taking that those funds and paying their employees higher wages. And there have been a number of businesses that, that have announced that one Fifth Third Bank, local bank from my hometown of Cincinnati, LaPrell used to work there. She made $5.01 an hour. We'll never forget that amount. 501. Had to be, couldn't be 502, had to be 501. Didn't pay very much. And and now they announce they're going to pay their workers more. And other businesses have done that. So they, they could take that money and pay their workers more. Or, again, they could invest in these capital projects. We have no idea. But businesses, both overseas businesses and U.S. Business, and US businesses, have a greater incentive to stay and invest in the U.S. Because now the tax code or the tax rate is much, much lower than it was. And, and that provides incentive. So that you know, all in all, when we think about this Tax Reform Act, it could create more jobs. It will allow the economy to grow faster. Now, one risk is increased investment by businesses, greater demand by households, for products and services now that they have more income, a larger budget deficit by the federal government could cause capacity to be constrained and inflation could pick up and interest rates could rise. The potential consequences of this tax reform, they're all estimates. We don't know. There could be unintended consequences. We just don't know how it'll turn out. Now, Oh, no, I think the tax reform was a good thing. It definitely simplifies taxes, makes it much simpler. Take us longer than 10 minutes like it takes my, my friend in Denmark. But hopefully for many or most, it will reduce and simplify taxes. But it does change incentives. Tax reform always involves politics and a discussion of what is fair. Now, there's one more thing. 
Congress in 2010 passed the Pay-As-You-Go Act, which requires the Office of Budget and Management to order automatic spending cuts. If legislation is passed, such as this Tax Reform Act, that causes an increase in the deficit, unless Congress waives the rules. That's potentially $136 billion in cuts in 2018. And so there's these technicalities that still need to be worked out. Will Congress waive the rules to allow these potential benefits of the tax cuts, the faster-growing economy, more income in households, more income for businesses, and what will they do with it? Will, I hope, they take a large percent and give it to the workers and don't use it to buy back stock or increase their dividends. That's not what happened in 2004. There was a study done by Damika Narmapala, he's a University of Chicago law professor, and he, he saw what happened last time companies had a tax holiday and could repatriate some of their overseas earnings. He found that 79% of every dollar went to share repurchases and 15 cents to dividends. So we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. But overall, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the Tax Reform Act. But we'll see what those consequences and unintended consequences are down the road. That's episode 186. You can get show notes and links to the articles I mentioned at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll email those links every week and also email you an essay, my best writing I do each week that I don't send to anybody else. And as an additional incentive, one of the things LePro and I are going to do, hopefully in February, is we're going to take an extended three-month road trip and do money for the rest of us listener meetups. And they'll be and, I'll, and if you if you're part of the insider's guide, I'll send you the links when we're when and where we're going to have them. I'm going to do it as I do it. In other words, I don't have it all planned out. When we like to travel, we like to sort of figure it out as we go. So about a week ahead of time, you'll get an invite to attend if if you're a member of the my free insider's guide. And so we'll be doing that. We'll also include money for the rest of us plus members at, on on meetups. We'll do that for them also. But that's beginning in February. So go ahead and sign up at moneyfortherestofus.com, my free insider's guide. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word insider to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice, certainly no tax advice here just general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.